Hello, Playdate. This is Don. And this is Nick. And this is Ryan. This week we are covering Playdate news. Indie games of the week. And telling you a little bit about who we are. Thank you for listening. Let's get started. Okay. So the correction, we have a correction. Uh, I don't think it's our first. Probably not our first, but our first official right out of the gate. Uh, Time from Earth. We got a couple of comments, more than one, that... Uh, I put time from earth in our last show notes, but we did not talk about it. I briefly mentioned very briefly mentioned uh, time from earth by Ollie co at the very end of the last episode. Mm-hmm. I did. I went back and checked. I did mention it. <laughs> That's why it was okay, in the show. See, notes. I told you, I told you guys I mentioned it. So anyway, uh, it'll be in the show notes on this episode too, because right. I'm mentioning it right now, but it is the new game from Ollie <laughs> co and it is a walking sim on the okay. uh, play date and i told nick in the last episode that uh it is a very good walking sim however it, it it was hitting a little too close to home so it depressed me uh before going to bed so it's whimsical in a way but also deals with some heavy subject matter uh so be aware if you live on planet earth be aware there is some <laughs> heavy subject matter so anyway get, check out time from earth uh, and there's a correction. All right. Way to bring it down to start the show, Don. Thank you very yeah, much. And next we have the, the Playdate mm-hmm. community census results are available. Shall we discuss a little bit of it, guys? Yes, massive. There's a massive document. We're not going to discuss the whole thing. It's 58 pages long. It will be in the show notes, a link to where you can access that. But let's discuss the top four slides. Ryan, take it away. Sure. So to start out, we've got why do we like Playdate? And this little bubble graph here says the three main points are, uh, I'll start with number three, games or side loading is the number three thing folks like about the Playdate. Number two thing is easy development, easy to develop games on the Playdate. And number one, drum roll, is unique, fun, or cute at 31%. So what do you guys think about this? Are you thinking uh, the respondents got this right? Is that why you like the play date? Or are you liking it for different reasons? Uh, ease of development was the, the thing that got, got me, uh, mm-hmm. along with the, the list of announced season games uh, when they first announced it, and the intriguing nature of the crank. So I, I think generally the the bubble graph here is uh, pretty correct for me. How about you, Don? Yeah, game games and side loading. I, the ease of side loading, I was skeptical about, but it's so easy that uh, it's a big selling point for me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the variety of games, of course, and the I think unique, fun, and cute. Those are those are big sellers. It is really yeah. appealing to just like hold it, look at it. It just looks cool on your desk. Like, hey, this is something from an IKEA catalog ad or something. I don't know. It just looks hip. Yeah, I gotta agree with the ease of side loading games. I mean, when I first got this thing, I'm a I'm a, a luddite, and it frightened me just the the concept of logging on to the internet and making games appear on this little handheld device. I've I've never done anything like that before. But Don and Nick held my hand one night and said, "Here is the URL," and it was pretty much as simple as that. So uh, I've. I got to agree too. I I think they got it right. Just to give you a few other points in the bubble graph here, we've got uh, hardware, size, crank, simple, indie, the community, uh, it's approachable, the season, 
and there is an 8.5% other. So those were the lesser percentages of things that people liked about the play date. Um, I don't know. I would say pretty uh, non-controversial. Uh, I'm trying to think of a word <laughs> while my brain <laughs> melds itself together. Not a polarizing um, question. It says that there was 671 respondents for this question, and there was something mm-hmm. like 750 overall respondents. So most people went to bat on this one. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, let's move to that second slide. Don, you want to take this one? Yeah, uh, the second slide, issues developed. There were 88 respondents, 17.5% had issues that developed. I did see in the uh, squad Discord that one of the employees at Panic, I don't remember which one, unfortunately, but someone at Panic reached out and said, it is not 17% of, that does not represent the total amount of playdates. It's not like 17% of all playdates have had issues, but just 17% of respondents is, mm-hmm. um, you know, a much larger number than the actual number of issues. Right. But, uh, 70, 88 respondents did have issues or responded that they did. Uh, 42% mentioned the crank and then it splinters off into discoloring and detection and different things like that. Um, 20% had button issues, which some of the issues were fixed with the last, uh, OS update mm-hmm. and yeah. then there's screen the issues. Yes. The yeah. bounce screen issues, other software and case issues. Um, so again, splinters off lots of information here, but, uh, that does not represent the entire pool of play dates out there. So I I wanted to chime in on this slide because I thought it was super funny that the most uh, mentioned issue was a discolored crank. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's still totally functional, but the fact that, you know, fingers and oils and whatever were getting on it and the metal was changing a little bit. I don't know. I'm not that particular about my handheld devices. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, are you guys very particular about your crank becoming discolored or <laughs> am I the only one who thinks this is funny? I always put a fresh pair of gloves on before I start playing. <laughs> well, I mean, but I, I understand to some extent. I uh, yeah. yeah. I, I am not that precious with mine either, but, but yeah, I mean, everybody's got a different threshold for, um, yeah. what, what they deem acceptable. So. Right out of the gate, they were looking pretty dirty, I guess, for some folks. And they said it was a known issue with the early cranks, the whatever, the metal or something. I, I don't know the science behind it, but it was not everybody. Just one batch of cranks got out there. And have you seen the pictures, Ryan, of the dirty cranks? No, but I would imagine I've got one of them. I mean, mine is certainly bad. is not super shiny anymore. It's it's tarnished, but it does it not like bother black? me. It turns like black and brown and purple, kind of. Yeah, it's pretty dirty looking. Oh, yeah, I think uh, it's hard to tell, but you yeah. might. It gets pretty splotchy looking. Um, I don't know. The ones I saw, they, it looks like dirty after hmm. a day or so of use. Oh, so okay. It's noticeable. Oh, that might be different for mine. I have not seen the pictures, okay. but I was not I was not concerned about it. So, <laughs> Okay. Maybe you can point me to them sometime. Well, think about it, your watch. I mean, you've designed watches. What if your watch, the the band or the case, became splotchy the day after wearing it? You'd probably have some feeling about it. It still tells right. time, but it's not attractive to use. You're right. You're right. 
I know you're right. Okay, well, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I I guess it depends on your style of use. You know, I, I view gaming devices as utilitarian and mm-hmm. things to mm-hmm. be used. And you mentioned my watch. That's a good example. Uh, I would view that as more like higher end art piece. And so I want to keep it cleaner, but you're right. Other people probably view it as strictly utilitarian and wouldn't mind getting some scratches and dings and nicks on it. Um, so yeah, that's a good point. You're right. Anyway. Wow, we avoided a fight there. That's what people liked about our show. We, we sent out our couple. own, mm-hmm. we sent out our own, uh, <laughs> Hello, Playdate podcast survey. That was the number one response. We like it when oh. Ryan and Don fight. <laughs> we'll have to work on that, Don. Okay. I'm open to it. Nick, you want to handle uh, slide number three? Sure. Um, no, not slide number three. So uh, slide number three is the 20 tags most closely associated with desired Playdate content. And uh, there were 755 total responses. Multiple choice was allowed. And uh, of the 20 tags, perhaps surprising nobody, arcade was the most desired genre. Um, So are there any surprises in here for you all? Like uh, as far as Um, what people are looking for? There's one for me. Platformer is very high. And I would say the small nature of the playdate it does not make mm-hmm. it a very comfortable platforming device i i would say it's not geared towards platformers at all really yeah. um other than that I, though oh let's go ahead uh i'm a little surprised that visual novel isn't higher um compared to something like uh metroidvania um but uh, they're pretty close overall that's, that's kind of a nighttime in my opinion that's kind of a nighttime genre and mm-hmm. played it isn't backlit, so maybe that would have something to do with it. And it's not a huge genre either. Right. I guess I kind of thought that comedy would be a little higher. That is the lowest on the list. But with that said, all of these are actually surprisingly close. I mean, the, yeah. the most voted for, Arcade, had 514 votes. And the very lowest had 311. So, you know, that's a couple hundred votes away. but these different genres are very close in nature. So I don't know. I guess I kind of view this slide as saying like, we want a bunch of different stuff on this device. <laughs> like yeah. We enjoy multiple genres. And again, we've said it before. Everything's fair think, game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that season one did a good job of, um, you know, showcasing that. Mm-hmm. Comedy is at the bottom of the top 20, but it's still in the top 20. Right. If you look at the word cloud, there must be, 80 words there 100 words mm-hmm. if true, you look true. at the word comedy in the bottom left it's a pretty big compared to the word under it i can't even read the word under it whatever mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. yeah good call okay ryan you want to do the fourth slide and then we sure. let the listeners read the rest of the other uh 54 slides okay this will be the last one then how much would we pay would you pay extra for a game by a known developer and uh, roughly half, uh, 43.7% said yes. Roughly half, 48.6% said maybe. And a small percentage, 7 point something said no. But the big 
graph here is what do you consider a reasonable price for a Playdate game? So uh, I'm just going to hit the main uh, votes here, the ones that got the most votes, the majority. And in quick hit or gimmick games, the majority of votes said that should be free. And the short or lower quality games, they said they'd be willing to pay $1 to $3. Standard length or quality, $4 to $6. Longer or high quality, they said they'd be willing to pay $7 to $10. And the highest of quality, they would pay $11 to $19 for a Playdate game. So when I read through this, I was curious about your guys' thoughts on what would you consider a highest quality game? And do we have one yet? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on what you consider a high quality game. I think I've mentioned to Nick, I definitely mentioned to Nick, I consider Robotron like a 10 out of 10 game, mm-hmm. but Robotron is a different game than Grand Theft Auto V or something, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, Robotron would be a high-quality game, but so would Grand Theft Auto. But they're two totally different things. Do we have a highest-quality game? I would say yes, we do. We have several highest-quality games. So which games would you say are highest-quality? And follow-up question, would you pay 19 <laughs> bucks for them? Um, okay, well, showing my hand a little bit, Nick, I'm going to demand that you download Pocket Pets. Okay. Because there is a, let me pull it up. There's a little tiny, it's a Tamagotchi simulator, but there's a game in there that is inspired by Mega Man Battle Network, which I I am not familiar with, but I started playing it and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I've never played this (laughs) game before, but I love this. Anyway, this whole game, though, feels very polished. And I would say, oh, this Mm -hmm. is close to a top tier game, if not a top tier. But then if you look at the season games, there's a bunch. I would say Casual Birders close. But then even something like, um, Flipper Lifter, I would say, is right there. Pick Pack Pup, I think we said. Um, Omaze, I would say, would be. Do they, are they sixty hours long and have full speech and all kinds of other stuff? No, but they are still fulfilling exactly what they need to be. So we're getting into a much deeper conversation on what is a quality game. I, this is specifically about pricing this slide, and so maybe we we focus back on that. I was going to ask you guys, which did you answer that first question with? Um, would you pay extra by, for a game by a known developer? Do you remember what you answered? Nick, do you have a memory of this? Uh, I don't have a real strong feeling either way. I'd say maybe. Uh, it really just depends on the game for me. Um, the monetization thing is really uh, interesting to me as somebody who wants to develop Playdate games. Um, it seems that, which shouldn't be a surprise, uh that uh, the majority view the Playdate as a lower cost uh, system as far as uh, the games that are created for it. Um, Partly, I think that's because season one, uh, it was free. You know, it was included with the purchase of the Playdate. So uh, there's no value associated with those games directly, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is a uh, tough problem for monetizing any third-party game, you know, outside of what was uh, pushed by Panic. Um, So looking at the survey results, a quick hitter gimmick game um, might be really fun, or you might get a lot of enjoyment out of it. 
But if the majority expect for that experience to be free, even if it is very complex to develop, um, I don't uh, necessarily feel that that's a uh, fair thing. Um, so, and I'm again, I'm speaking as somebody who wants to develop a game for it and obviously sell it. Um, so coming from the aspect of a commercial developer, um, it's a little problematic because this tells me that whatever the bar is, um, in order to charge what I would probably need to charge in order to make it worth my while to create, uh, unless I want to do it for fun, which is generally, you know, a thing that I do when I'm exploring a new platform, um, it needs to be whatever this bar is for highest quality, which Mm -hmm. tells me nothing really like my highest quality game, uh, you know, might be totally different from either of yours. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, this, this slide doesn't mean much to me, except that it's, it's another platform where it's like a race to the bottom as far as pricing goes. Um, which I feel is not uh, not very healthy. <laughs> Look at the I, I mobile market. Chi- yeah, oh, yeah. Right. I was exactly. going to chime. I was going to chime in there too and mention. Not only do I think this is, as Nick said, not totally meaningful, but I think it's also compounded by the fact that some of these categories sort of overlap. For mm-hmm. example, I would argue that Whitewater Wipeout is a high quality game, but I would also argue that it's a quick hit game. It's a quick Mm -hmm. play. It's a, you know, you get to utilize the crank. You're at it for 30 seconds to three minutes and then you're done. Mm -hmm. It's high quality, but it's a quick hit game. So, so so it's a complex question, but what would you pay for that? If, if you had to pay, if it was $30, would you buy it? Whitewater wipeout? Mm, Mm -hmm. Probably not. Okay. So what's, what's what's your threshold? You know, totally. I I think it's going to be different for all of us. And I think it's going to be different for the quality of game, too. Mm -hmm. Um, What I think is going to be really interesting is when Panic releases season two and you see how many games are in there and how much they're charging for it. Mm -hmm. And then we can sort of extrapolate a little bit like what they valued season one as because we didn't get season one for free. It was Mm -hmm. part of the package deal. Right, right. But the way the way that uh, many people would internalize that is you buy this device for one hundred and eighty dollars and then you you get 24 games with it. You know, so it's it's a bundle. Right. You can't separate the two. So, you know, there's not as you say, uh, with season two, there's going to be a bit of a reckoning there because I would say for the games that I had the most enjoyment with, I would have no problem paying, you know, this highest tier. Um, But that's me and the way that I feel. And also my experience as a developer, I understand that it's very complicated to, to make these entertaining products that keep you coming back. Um, So whitewater wipeout, I know you've gotten a tremendous amount of enjoyment out of that and you've had, uh, you know, fun times with your son with it too. And I, I place a very high value on that kind of thing. Um, so that's my personal opinion, but I'm also coming at that from a bit of a different angle than, than you all. So, uh, I, I, I appreciate you all giving me the opportunity to <laughs> speak about this like this. Cause, 
it's it's not a, a soapbox that I've gotten on on this podcast very much, but uh, it's uh, something that Don and I have talked about uh, several times on our previous show. Ryan. So Don, just out of curiosity, oh, I have a question for you. So I, I want to turn Nick's question to you as well. Not Whitewater Wipeout, because I know that's not your jam, but what's a, maybe a quick hit game that you thought was really great? Maybe Flipper Lifter, maybe Omaze. Those are not as quick as Whitewater Wipeout, but they're fantastic games. Would you I'd pay say, 30 bucks per uh, game? I was going to ask you, Snowboard snowboard Wipeout, are you paying 30 bucks? That's how, what it costs in the store? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I guess I'd have to think about that. If it was you paying twenty, if it was as again, I don't know what snowboard wipeout is gonna be like. It's whitewater wipeout snow- on snow. Okay, let's say it's moves. that. Let's say it's <laughs> that. I I would think a time or two before I plunk down thirty bucks on that uh. because I think about what else would I be able to get for 30 bucks elsewhere that mm-hmm. might be comparable. So just for example, I went out and bought Gargoyles Quest for essentially 40 bucks. That's a game I played when I was a kid. It gave me, you know, probably, uh, I don't know, two, three, seven hours worth of play and over the course of, I don't know, maybe a month and really provided a lot of joy for me. Granted, there's also the gooey sticky nostalgic factor built in there too which is hard to do on new games but i was happy to pay 40 bucks for that um but i feel like there was more meat to that game than whitewater wipeout so if it's whitewater wipeout on snow and i kind of have that experience already then probably not for me. But if there's some new interesting tricks and gameplay and, you know, stuff that was not developed in Whitewater Wipeout, um, then that's a developer that I know and like, and uh, I might be willing to take a chance on that. I'm I'm on the fence. I, I think I'd have to see a little bit more gameplay and maybe see some reviews at a $30 price point for me. But what about you, Don? Well, How about um... those quickish games that you think are fantastic 30 bucks adding on to your gargoyle thing gargoyles quest also has the physical aspect and the resale value mm-hmm. while while uh, snowboard wipeout would not um True. well so i bought curse to golf the other day for 20 bucks on the mm-hmm. strength of too high i like golf and i like too high and i know that white water is not for me but i know i like too high games i like i have their carved snowboard game on like quest so i know they make good games and so i hadn't read any reviews i hadn't played it but i bought curse to golf came out last week on my xbox so to me i was like well i know supporting them and liking a golf arcade game this is probably going to be worth 20 dollars worth of fun so there was twenty dollars. Uh, Flipper Lifter to me, I, I don't think I'd have a problem spending ten bucks or twelve bucks on that. At fifteen, 30? I would probably look at reviews because I am not that into arcadey type games. Something like a Pick Pack Pup Two, I'd probably drop twenty bucks without thinking about it. Um, where I'm at in my life with just buying random stuff, I'm not really buying anything over twenty bucks right now. Um, or I'm selling stuff to do it or waiting until I get mm. a discount on Amazon or whatever, or credit card rebate and then flipping it that way. Or I sell something. I sold Xenoblade two. I bought Xenoblade three a couple weeks ago. 
Um, Sparrow Solitaire was one I was thinking of. That's probably the highest quality. Like it feels like a really high quality game. Um, there's just a demo out right now, an early access demo, but it feels so high quality and that's 10 bucks. And I would say, yeah, th- yes, um, that feels like it could be a $20 play date game and something like bloom is, what, what is it? 10 bucks, Nick? It's 10 bucks. Yeah. So bloom, it feels like a $10 game, but I think if bloom had come out a year from now, after a year of other games coming out and kind of setting the bar on the play date, maybe Bloom would have a lot more depth. I think that's the only knock really on it is that the, it doesn't have some of the depth you would expect from when you're playing it. You kind of, oh, I wish I could do more than this than just hitting the button or a couple different mm-hmm. options or whatnot. But maybe in a year it would. It was right out of the gate day one. I think we're still on the ground floor of the play date and there's not an audience. Like anybody making games on the play date is not making, it's not a career right now. Right. For devs at all. Like single devs or with a, with the studio with the team right yeah so it's it's all a labor of love and that's yes. you know that goes hand in hand with what i was saying you know uh with the, with the race to the bottom on pricing and what you both have said reinforces uh what that slide shows as well so there is a theoretical maximum that you'll pay for any given game even if it's your favorite genre or your favorite mm-hmm. type of game or your favorite developer on the system and that that's very telling. So <clears throat> I, um, as I I'm not going to rehash the whole <laughs> yeah. thing I just said, but, <laughs> but I see things in a slightly different way. Um, I don't, I wouldn't drop, you know, a ton of money just because, but, uh, it, it would give me pause the higher something is priced, but, uh, it is something that I, uh, wouldn't have a problem with if it gave me uh, a level of enjoyment that I felt was commensurate with the price. Um, and at one or two dollars, that's for me. Uh, you know, that's that's a no-brainer if it's if it's one of those things that provides hours of enjoyment um, compared with something like a a movie ticket or something that provides mm. two hours of enjoyment maximum, pretty much um, at you know five times the price. That's uh, <laughs> That's the value proposition is much higher on a, on a play date game, the return for investment. So um, that's kind of the way that I see, uh, you know, the cost of games. There's the Mario golf conundrum too. 60 bucks day one, not worth 60 right. bucks day one. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, for sure. And that's where reviews and critical press come in. Right. Um, yes. As, as value. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I think we've beat this horse. Why don't we move <laughs> on to uh, some more news? Who wants oh, to tell okay. us about this one? Let's blow through news. Yeah. Um, well, this is a big. This is a big thing too. Um, we're releasing our podcast late. Thank you for joining us late. But we're doing so because there is a sideload bundle. This is a huge thing. Um, a, a lot of people I've seen online just keep saying like, "Oh, the play date's okay, but I don't like the first week's two games. They don't speak to me." I wish there were more. And so it just kind of collected dust. And then I went back to it after months. I hear that on podcasts all the time. What? And so these people <laughs> to raise awareness on sideloading, there is a Playdate squad Playdate community bundle. It is good this week. It starts right now. If you're hearing this, it's running right now, unless you're listening to it much later. But if you're listening to it this week of release <laughs> on itch, there is a Playdate community bundle. It is going to be revealed on the tiny yellow machine Twitch stream. 
There's all kinds of links in the show note. We're going to be posting all over social media. But there are 13 great games. 13. Uh, a $64 value, maybe even more, because I think they were kind of sneaking in one or two games at the last second. I'm not 100% sure. But at least 13, $64 minimum value for $29, I think, or $29.99. Around $30 or less. Uh, so a heck of a deal. Yeah. A great deal. Do not be scared of siloing. Ryan just said it is not a thing to be scared of. If I can do it, anyone can do it. And these are top tier, like uh, season worthy games. So if you only have mm-hmm. two games or maybe you're on week three, you only have six games and you're like, oh, I wish there were more games. Here's a way to fill out your catalog. Get get 12, uh, 13, get 13 more games. Boom. In one shot, 30 bucks. So the games included include a joke that's worth 99 cents. Life's too short. Fish and Feathers, Necro Crisis, which I think is like a $10 game anyway. Uh, Tapeworm Disco bu- Disco Puzzle, also a $10 game. Shift, my favorite game on the playdate. Conquest of Helios, Art 7, Sketch Share Solve, Squish, A Balanced Brew, Reflector, which just came out this week, and Chestress Mini, which comes out tomorrow. It's not even out yet. A heck of a deal for a, a lot of really good games. Uh, most of those games we've we've talked about on the show because they've been uh, indie picks of the week. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do you guys think? Good deal. Absolutely, heck, heck of a deal. Heck yeah. of a deal. We've we've played the majority of these games, and like you said, there are n- not just one or two, but there are like several ten dollar games in here. And then just like another dozen on top of that, basically. So I, I don't understand who is saying there are not enough games on Playdate, but boy, howdy, here they are. And there's some good ones too. Uh, yeah. If I didn't have mm-hmm. most of these already, I'd be all over this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. Since the last podcast there, we hit uh, 250 games on itch for the Playdate. Wow goodness plenty to play do not be scared of siloing that's the whole point of this yep. thing do not be scared get on there get some great games and get used to siloing it's super easy mm-hmm. buy some more games after this then it's, you too it's... can become a nick that downloads but doesn't play no then play them <laughs> then play them don't be nick don't be nick it's it's so not only incredibly easy but also super rewarding and even if yeah. you're a cheapskate there are so many games that are like hey pay your own price and then you don't have to pay 30 bucks or 20 or 10 or 5 or 1 you can do it whatever you want uh so once you understand how easy it is i think you're going to want to try a whole bunch of games because even this bundle is just scratching the surface like don yeah. said we've got you know this tremendous group of games, but there are far, far more once you mm-hmm. figure out that this is an easy and fun and fulfilling thing to do, this whole side-loading thing. Yeah, so hop on it. There'll yep. be a link in the show notes and uh, plenty of videos and all that stuff out there. We're going to be pushing it hard this week, so check it out. Fantastic. And by our show being late don means like 12 hours later than right. usual <laughs> yeah. not super late just a little tiny bit late. Yeah. so there you go all right i think that was all the boop 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 news and notes which means we are now talking about the boop 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 
Boop Indie Games of the Week. Who's Don, going I, first? I thought, I thought Ryan forgot about the boops this week. Never. Oh, he's back full of boops. <laughs> Might be uh, late on the draw. I'll go first. I can never let my yeah. boops go. Don, Don, go ahead. I'll go first because I have a question for you guys. Um, my game this week, speaking of Indie Games of the Week, these are satellite games. My game this week is called Begone Meetings I Sleep. Mm-hmm. It is by, ooh, I don't know how to say this, Osuka? I hope. And it is basically the idea is you're asleep at your desk and you're trying to stay awake <laughs> through eight hours of work. And so you're like at a desk, you're moving the cursor around and clicking on different icons in your computer. Cause your boss is like, keeps checking in on you. So it's similar to the uh, tax evader games. Yeah. But the gameplay, what is the video mode on Johnny mnemonic? Snarf. <laughs> the one. Snarf. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Snarf. I, I don't know that it has oh, a name, does it? Okay, I don't know. So on the Johnny Mnemonic pinball machine, there's like basically this infamous video mode where you use the flipper buttons to move this little <laughs> cursor around and touch other yep. little things, and you snarf up these little pellets. I love that. The thing. gameplay on Begone Meetings I Sleep is very similar. You're moving the cursor with the with the crank, Yep. and then you That's stop, right. and you let it kind of like loosen up. And then when it gets close to an icon on your desktop, that's when you crank to like zoom in again and snarf <laughs> it up. You just have to touch the two and it eats the cursor. And then basically once you eat all the cursors, it like an hour passes. Your boss says something to you and then you go into the next hour and it gets harder and harder and your eyes get sleepier and sleepier and the screen starts to close as your eyelids come down and begin to close. So uh, I saw the dev. I think the dev only got to like hour five or something, maybe hour six. So the dev is not even finished hour eight. But That's uh, where I kept maxing out at. How high did you get, Don? I only got to three. It gets huh. hard, man. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> I, it's so funny. This is the game I wanted to talk about this week for Indie Game of the Week. And when I popped into our show notes, I'm like, oh, man, Don snagged it already. I, I had but a I, feeling. That's why I threw <laughs> it in there right away. <laughs> And it's so funny because I was going to give the exact description as you about the Johnny Mnemonic pinball, even though we're probably isolating our audience here. <laughs> there is a wacky video mode that is very close to that. Yeah. One of the things that Don did not mention was that there is a wackadoo background to mm-hmm. this game. So there is a cursor, yes, and there are things you're trying to get, yes. But instead of just a static background, it's like this wave of an image that is very disorienting and really gives you this sense of like coming in and out of consciousness or reality as you're trying to focus on these little uh, bits and pieces that you're trying to move together. I, I thought that was so brilliantly done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that was the only addition I wanted to make. The graphics are really nice too. They look like the tax evader type graphics. Very much so. Especially the, especially the part that's static when your boss starts talking to you and you wake up from the computer. That was very reminiscent of corporate tax evader. <laughs> We've all been there too. We've all been like, zoning out in a meeting like, oh, I'm supposed to be paying and somebody asked you a question <laughs> yeah nick have you downloaded and not played i uh have while we've been talking actually fantastic yeah okay. gotta keep it uh, consistent Very one good. of the screenshots uh is somebody uh telling them that the production database just vanished, uh, which is an experience that i've had in real life and it oh, is uh, very oh. nerve-wracking so um uh, that's uh i i 
was attached to the wrong machine and issued a delete command that should not have been issued. So oh, no. uh, that was Yikes. very early in my career. Like, this uh, feels so much like a WarioWare mini game, not micro game, but one of the mini games that come with them. It feels so much like that. So I feel like it, Nick. I'm very excited to play it. So thanks for the recommendation. Sure. Yeah. And just a little bit more info on this. This just came out a week ago. So very mm-hmm. new. And also it's a pay what you want. So uh, anybody can sideload. Yep. All right. Then I will go to my second pick. <laughs> <laughs> as I would have enjoyed uh, saying exactly what Don said about that last game. But uh, I chose a game called Rooms. And this is billed as an interactive graphic novel on empty rooms. This is uh, coded and designed by Nicholas Tilly and music and game cover design by Orfeo Gagliardini. Uh, I am sorry for that, but those are the two folks who are, uh, I wish I could say their names better. So anyway, uh, they bring us essentially a Webtoons comic. And if you are familiar with Webtoons, it's essentially a vertically scrolling platform for digital comics. Um, I downloaded this because I'm interested in comics, I make comics, I teach comics, and last time there was a comics app that came out for the Playdate, I was shamed by Don, who chose it before I did. So I wanted to get the jump on him and talk about this one. Um, Unfortunately, this one left me feeling a little bit flat. It felt like sort of a proof of concept more than an interactive graphic novel. The only interactivity to it really is the scrolling element. And then there's a minor piece of interactivity where you can click the A or B button and it essentially reverses everything. Everything that's black is white. Everything that's white is black. And at first I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of clever. You're going to cruise through here. And if you change the lighting, then you're going to see something that you would not have otherwise. Maybe you turn the lights on and something's apparent whereas it was not before, but that was not the case. I went through the entire thing clicking and everything was strictly a color swap and that was it. There's no surprises there. Um, And Mm. I personally enjoy narrative with my comics and there wasn't much of a narrative here. I enjoy the occasional experimental comic if there's something interesting happening, but this just felt a little bit recycled to me like there were lots of reused assets from frame to frame and that felt a little bit um like i said sort of proof of concept to me rather than finished project um but i think where this game really sings uh pardon the pun is the music the music for this game is amazing there's this great little piano riff that's kind of mixed up with some other stuff and man i just wanted to keep sitting there and listening to that music. Um, So yes, I think that there are possibilities here that could be explored, like the potential of revealing things with that light and dark element. Also, I would encourage Tilly, uh, Nicholas Tilly to look at Illumination by Caden Batrack. Um, I thought that pushed the medium and interactivity more than this release. Uh, You can see that on itch. Uh, You can also hear about Uh, hear us talk about it on episode four. It was brought up by Don and had some really interesting elements to it. So uh, those would be my recommendations regarding rooms. 
Did you guys have a chance to see this one? Not yet. I just downloaded it while we were talking. <laughs> okay. Well, on to Nick's game then. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have been experiencing perhaps the busiest time in my entire life uh, over the past couple weeks. Uh, so I have not had very much time to play the Playdate. Uh, but I did make some time today uh, at lunchtime because I knew we were recording tonight. Um, and I decided to play a pulp game that I downloaded very early into the Playdate's uh, lifespan called Legend of Zolt. Have you all heard of this one? Yeah, I've seen it, but I haven't tried it yet. I have not, but it looks like it's been around since April 2022. Wow. Yeah, it is, it's, a, it's a very early pulp game. And mm-hmm. um, it is... Very interesting. Um, it was developed uh, by a developer called UMSD1, uh, who I believe uh, is also in France. And um, this game is a Zelda style, if you couldn't tell from Legend of <laughs> in the mm-hmm. title, uh, Zelda style adventure game. Uh, there's essentially one large dungeon that you're crawling through. Uh, there are enemies. Um, there's different uh, little uh, puzzles uh, that involve spike traps or um, pushing boulders or um, flipping switches, those kind of things. And uh, you're just navigating from room to room and trying to solve various puzzles. So it's uh, pretty cool and pretty interesting. And I got really far into it. At least I feel like I was really far. And then it crashed. And uh, oh, no. so I hopped on to itch because I was like, oh, gosh, I I hope that the, the dev is aware of that. Or I was checking to see if there was an updated version. Uh, there wasn't uh, an updated version. However, uh, it looks like somebody else reported the crash uh, in the same room that I was in. Hmm. So uh, I'm not sure. I haven't played through the entire game again to get back there. Um but uh, I'm wondering if you if you get uh, the the sword item and you don't use it in the room that you receive it in, if the game will actually proceed as normal. I of course swung it around like a maniac, and <laughs> that's uh, that's when the game crashed. So I'm thinking, uh, you know, my, minor spoiler there, but you do get a sword, and if you get it and don't use it right away, maybe that's the the trick um or maybe there's just a, a hideous bug that uh the developer hadn't found uh that had been reported uh, about 110 days ago uh, according to itch and uh unfortunately the developer hasn't had time to to uh go in it and patch that up so um anyway i i enjoyed my time with it um but uh yeah i was i was a little saddened that i couldn't complete it um so so Nick, it, you said you were kind of close to the end. I see here on the Legend of Zolt itch page that it says there are 12 rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say you were? I think on... I was on like 11 or mm. 10, 10 or 11. So mm. I was mm. I was way into it. Nice. Um, and uh, this game is $1.50. Um, but you, it's one of those uh, pay, pay what you want above $1.50. So $1.50 is the minimum. I like that the character looks like uh, E.T. from the Atari 2600. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't... It's, kind of all the pulp games, the characters look the same, in my opinion. Very but this similar. One definitely doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there's a, a couple of ways that the game plays with your expectations, which I thought uh, was pretty fun. So not all of the rooms behave in the same way. Um, and there, it's constantly throwing something new at you. So uh, if that sounds intriguing, it might be worth your, your $1.50 and your time. Just uh, don't swing that sword. So I'm, I'm reading through the itch page here. It says project started April 11th, 2022, and I worked 91 hours on it, about seven hours a day to get here using only Playdate Pulp. The game is almost finished. I am working on the boss fight room 12. Mm-hmm. So uh, too bad Measure. that there hasn't been an update since then, I think. Or there, there were a few dates updates right there were updates all in a week yeah yeah Yeah. i think did any of those address any of those issues i haven't read any further uh looks like the most recent one said the game is almost complete finish room nine finish room seven made seven new sounds still need to make the ai for the boss battle in room 12 Uh, throw your podcast around get them to finish it bugs (laughs) yeah consider this uh pressure the the requirement to finish it now I'm just kidding, but uh, it, what what is there? It was very enjoyable. So, um, if you'd like a Zelda style adventure, um, in that's using pulp in a slightly different way than many other pulp games, uh, might be worth a look. Looks really cool. I uh, I love this overhead dungeon crawler style game. Uh, yeah, looks really fun. Cool, cool. So, Ryan. Nick, oh, we need some boops. Who are we? Who are these people are talking to you? So I was listening to Ryan's interview with Nick F on the pro tips a couple weeks ago. And Ryan uh, asked more information about Nick F than we have ever shared about uh, the three of us. And I was like, oh, I know more about this dude than any of our listeners know about us. And so when we've kind of talked about, oh, maybe someday we should mention who we are. So we've kind of dropped in little things here and there, but we thought, oh, maybe we'd give a little bit more of our background, where the podcast came from, et cetera. So we have a couple minutes here now, and we are going to do that today. Awesome. And I think we should start with you, Don, because really none of the three of us would know each other if it were not for you and your podcasting history. So can you tell us a little bit about where you started podcasting and uh, what got you interested in it in the first place and how that sort of led you to a number of different casts that you've done now? Yes, this is uh, like my eight or ninth podcast, but only Mm. uh, none of them. Well, one of them was successful. The rest were not. So I've been podcasting since 2007. I did a movie podcast. We did 50 episodes. We did interviews Mm. and whatnot. I'm not going to mention it because I don't want people looking it up, but um, it, it, <laughs> got me, it got the wheels turning. Everybody likes to hear their own voice. And really, that's all I want to do with podcasting is I like getting my opinions out there. Um, so in 2009, I think I started the pinball podcast with uh, my friend Jeff. And there were not very many pinball podcasts at that time. I think there was only three or maybe four and they were not regular so jeff and i we just met at a pinball show i bought a pinball from a friend of his and uh we had good seo the pinball podcast you search (laughs) pinball and podcast you'd usually find us first and so we it was a fairly fairly successful show we did that for about six years 
he still does it randomly, but I got depressed and quit at episode 100. So episode 100, we had a, a kind of final show and Ryan was hired to make a poster for it. We had a kickoff show or a, whatever, a wrap up party kind of thing in Vegas. I met Nick and Ryan there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I met them in person and that was that. And then I was getting the podcast bug a couple years later. I didn't have anybody to talk to. So I started uh, gaming on 10 bucks a week. I wanted a discount. I wanted to talk about deals. I'm always hot on video game deals. And so with two other friends that were both in different states, one in California, one in Florida, we started talking about what if you had 10 bucks a week, what, what game would you buy this week? But uh, one of them only ever played one mobile game. And then the other one didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to podcast without the other guy. And so that fell apart after like 15 episodes. Hmm. But Nick and I were kind of always chatting and texting and we didn't have anybody in our lives that we could talk about games with. And so we were both familiar with podcasting. Nick will tell us in a few minutes about all of his various podcasts. But uh, so we said, oh, let's just start a podcast. So it was gaming on 10 minutes a week, which is also very wordy and eventually just became gaming on 10. Um, the problem was we rarely played the same games. So often it was just one of us listening to the other one rather than having a conversation. So while it was interesting for us, I liked hearing about the games he was playing. It was not very engaging to listen to. Um, I kept telling Nick to drop me and just do a niche podcast about JRPGs or point and clicks because I feel like you really just need a niche topic now. There's thousands of video game podcasts. And last summer, or I think it was last spring or summer, we were both excited about the Playdate. And so we decided to squat on playdatepodcast.com. <laughs> we've had that URL for over a year and just switch gears whenever the Playdate play launched. And it worked out that we both received ours at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it worked out that our friend Ryan also received his around the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I personally prefer three voices on a podcast. I was always nagging Nick to have guests on the Gaming on 10 podcast. We didn't have them very often. Um, but Ryan is a good podcaster. He'll tell you, I'm sure, about the podcast he's done in a few minutes. So it was a good fit. And I forgot to mention, during the pinball podcast, that's how I met Nick and Ryan. Mm -hmm. They are also pinball guys. And so uh, Nick is really weird and sent us a, th a threatening letter demanding that <laughs> Twilight Zone pinball, one of the most complex pinball machines ever made, was not as complex as an old bingo machine, <laughs> which is an insane thing to read so it was very memorable and we had to have him on the podcast and he became a friend of the show uh easily one of our favorite guests and ryan is such a great artist he'll talk about i'm sure that he's a very good comic artist but he's such a good artist and he creates so much pinball art and whatnot um, we were lucky to meet him and have him on the uh, podcast as well um, doing interviews and whatnot so we became friends and i don't I don't know how you guys became friends together, but you guys are like uh, BFFs over there. So anyway, that's my, my <laughs> life story. I think I'm done with my half. I mean, we, we seriously have you to thank for all of our friendships here. Like yeah, it was through nice. the pinball podcast. And I remember, you know, reaching out to Don and, and chatting, you know, offhandedly 
uh, about the pinball podcast here and there. And then this weirdo wrote in with this crazy claim about his bingo machine. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that sounds so interesting. <laughs> and I immediately wrote Don and said, can you please forward me this email? And he's like, oh, yeah, here it is. And oh, by the way, the guy's starting to do like 87 podcasts a day. So here's that URL. <laughs> and I started listening mm-hmm. to Nick's podcast at the time and reached out to him. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. We, uh, uh, Nick and I decided to throw caution to the wind shortly after meeting online and say, hey, we should put both of our families into uh, an Airbnb together and see how that goes. And surprisingly, <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> but yeah, Nick, that's that's sort of my side of the story. I don't know if you have a different side <laughs> to all that. That's uh, that's pretty much it, except that I'm, I'm the uh, twice-named weirdo. Uh, <laughs> I wrote that. I guess we should say. <laughs> there we go. Um yeah, so I'm uh I'm a a pinball fanatic and um I wrote that letter that Don was talking about and yeah, Don um you're you're the linchpin here. You've you've uh given us nice. all uh a lot of joy over the years both with hmm. your podcasts uh that you've done but also with our friendship here. So um Ryan and I, yeah, we uh we got that real murder scenario going on with our first uh, family vacation there but uh, it all worked out (laughs) (laughs) um and uh we've been we've been doing uh stuff together ever since and it's uh it's it's been just really wonderful to uh to have met you both and uh and to be able to have this privilege to to podcast together so um the podcast that uh ryan mentioned that i did was called for amusement only the EM and Bingo Pinball Podcast, uh, which still I think has the title of longest pinball podcast title. Yeah, you didn't want um, me to say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my well, favorite Don, part of the show. <laughs> Don, I would ask you to repeat that if you could. <laughs> no chance. No, okay. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> for amusement only, I'm a very uh, technical person. But I also uh, enjoy the evolution of technology. So for amusement only uh, was an attempt to demystify uh, electromechanical games and uh, show how uh, the gameplay is more complex uh, and and more enticing uh, than it may seem at first because it is so far removed from uh, current gameplay. So uh, obviously I hooked Ryan. He's the one. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, and the rest is history. And I've, I've hired Ryan for a number of pinball rate related things as well. Um, so because he's an excellent artist and, uh, I love seeing your artwork in the world, Ryan. So, um, I, I, I keep commissioning more and more, but, uh, it's, um, it's really exciting to, uh, to be able to work uh, with both of you on, on these creative projects. It's, it's really cool. Speaking of creative projects, can you tell us a little bit about some of the pinball machine projects you've made? I know there's about a million of them, but uh, yeah, I I think that might be interesting for folks to hear about. So um, 
I have done a number of hobby projects and then I've started uh, dipping my toe into commercial uh, pinball as well. Um, so f on the hobby side, uh, initially I <laughs> uh, got the idea, I started repairing these bingo pinball machines, which are by far the most complex electromechanical games that have ever been made. And uh, I love them. They are so cool and unique and uh, i've really never played anything that's quite like them uh, but they are gigantic and they have a billion components which are rotating and clicking and 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 fluctuating the entire time that you're playing them so understanding them alone is a challenge and that's part of that podcast that i mentioned is demystifying that stuff but um the first time i worked on one i said you know if this could be replicated using a modern computer i i bet it would uh the actual electromechanical components that you'd need would be very tiny so um the first homebrew uh kind of game or, or hobby game that i made was reverse engineering every production bingo pinball machine uh in a single cabinet but with swappable play fields so there's 11 different play fields with different play field layouts. Uh, the vast majority of bingo pinballs use uh, one standard layout, uh, which kind of fed into this idea is being able to play multiple games on a single play field. It just makes sense, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> reverse engineering these is far more complicated than you might imagine, even from this description, because every game uh, has its own mechanical method of portioning and apportioning uh, different uh, advantages, player advantages, and the player advantages are vastly different between different games. So um, it's uh, it was a really interesting engineering challenge to sit back and see if I could replicate an entire game, much less 142 of them, wire for wire, rivet for rivet, uh, going off of the manuals and schematics for each game. Um, but uh, there's four different manufacturers represented in this game called the Multi Bingo, and I bring it to pinball shows and introduce people to the games uh, as part of my bingo outreach project. Aside from for amusement only and the Multi Bingo, I also uh, help to uh, gather a group of bingo pinball aficionados uh, into a single uh, row at a pinball show called the White Rose Game Room Show. It's my favorite pinball show. Um, and we call it Bingo Row. And uh, I hired Ryan to uh, do the artwork for Bingo Row. And so that's our, our official Bingo Row image. Um, Ryan's also been hired, you, you might hear this refrain many times, to do the, uh, the backlass artwork. So the multi-bingo uses a, uh, a monitor in the back box, but it has a surround. Uh, and that surround uh, was entirely original artwork by Ryan. Um, and frames the whole thing beautifully. Uh, and Ryan designed the logo that, that appears on the screen uh, for the multi-bingo. So that wasn't enough. And I decided that, uh, you know, uh, putting 1951 to 1981 games in a single cabinet uh, wasn't quite complicated <laughs> enough. So I decided to go back in time. And the next hobby game that I made was called Multi-Races. And Multi-Races comprises... Uh, a maximum of 64 different uh, one-ball horse race games. They differ from the bingos than in that in the bingos you have a minimum of five balls, 
to accomplish your goals in in these one ball horse race games. It's exactly what it sounds like. You get one shot and you're done. So each of these games uh, builds upon the predecessor and they uh, increase in complexity from 1936 to 1952. So you've got the entire history of uh, what they call gambling pinball um, from 1936 to 52. Again, four different manufacturers, different manufacturers than were in the multi-bingo, which is also kind of an interesting little quirk there. Um, Gottlieb, famously anti-gambling, has a gambling game in multi-races. So um, for this one, I hired uh, uh, Joel de Guzman uh, to do the backlash surround, uh, but I did hire Ryan to design a token. Uh, so these games actually dispense uh tokens uh if you win instead of accruing replays so that's uh that's some of my hobby work uh an additional game ryan and i have been developing together called uh robo frenzy and this is a stand-up electromechanical arcade game um and uh, the the basic concept is it's a two-player simultaneous arcade game you drop your money, start the game, and you it's a timed game. You have to uh, gather these gears from a low spot on the back glass, bring them back up, and you're creating a robot. So you're stacking up these gears to create a robot, but meanwhile, there's a giant robotic octopus in the center of the back glass, and it's trying to touch you. And if it touches you, you drop the gear, and you can no longer uh, build that robot. You have to go back to the bottom but it takes a couple seconds before you're able to do so. So um, everything's designed for that. Uh, all the circuitry is is wired, um, but it's it's pending artwork. And of course, <laughs> the time in both of our lives to actually uh, apply the artwork and, and you know, finish it too. So um, that one hasn't been to a show yet, but uh, uh, hopefully so. it's, it's pretty close. Um, we'll say <laughs> uh, since... You know, I'm not doing any of the artwork. It, it sure makes it easier on me at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I, I uh, there's there's a game that I've been following for many years called uh, the P3, and it's uh, made by a company called Multimorphic. Uh, the P3 is a pinball platform, so it's kind of like a like a Playdate or a Nintendo Switch or something, where um, different developers can make games for this pinball platform, and you can either make an entire playfield layout, or you can make purely software games that utilize an existing playfield layout. Um, that is extremely appealing to me. Um, obviously, uh, I went full bore in, into that, <clears throat> and uh, I initially created a homebrew game for that. Um, I guess before I get into the commercial stuff, uh, it's a remake of Quest for Glory, which is my favorite point-and-click adventure rpg series um and it's a remake of the first one i went way overboard for <laughs> a hobby project and uh hired an artist to redraw every background scene in the game uh so that it would appear beautiful and fresh i reorchestrated all the music hired session musicians uh put it all together myself to uh reorchestrate each song um the reinstrumentation process was really fun. I got to play around with that a bit. Um, 
and uh, hired. I, I'm very fond of particular sets of instruments. And uh, so even though the original was synthesized, I, I got to, uh, uh, when I was hiring actual uh, musicians that played a particular instrument to, to play that piece, uh, I was able to, to play around with that concept a little bit. So that was, that was fun. Uh, and I hired voice actors to, to voice act the entire game, even though none of that game was voice acted. Uh, so uh, that was a lot of fun. But the main thing that I did was teach myself how to program for the P3. So I picked perhaps the most complicated thing ever <laughs> to, to have as my first project for this platform. But um, this was uh, the first game with... Uh, achievements as we know them from, say, the Xbox or the PlayStation. Uh, I had those in the game a year or two before they were adopted by uh, the rest of the industry. Um, and just uh, there's so much detail about that game. And I'm really pleased. I'm actually bringing it to a show for the first time this year for people to play. Um, and I'm really interested to see. Uh, the reaction. Uh, but moving on from that, I also have made several different commercial games. I formed a company for amusement only games, LLC. I hired Ryan to draw the logo for that. Um, and uh, I've developed a game called Ranger in the Ruins. It's the first asymmetrical multiplayer online pinball game. Um, so in other words, someone who's playing it in Australia can affect the game of somebody in America who's playing it at a later date. Um, it's a really quick hit, score-chasing game, uh, single ball play, um, a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. Of course, I'm a, a bit partial <laughs> to all these games because I developed them. Um, next, I developed a game called Silver Falls. This is a very different game that was co-developed with my uh, younger daughter, um, her name is Sophia and she came up with the concept as well as, uh, the different modes and so forth within the game, um, and had final approval on all kinds of things from voice calls to, uh, sound design and, and all that. But, uh, the, the main goal in that you're picking an avatar. There's, uh, whew, I think 26 different base options with three different color schemes, each, um, and six different voices that you can pick. Uh, when you start the game, you're trying to progress from room to room within a house. And uh, in order to do so, you have to go into a shop, acquire items. When you acquire the necessary items, then a hurry up mode starts and the whole game's feeling changes from kind of a relaxing um, shoot around kind of game to a very <laughs> targeted uh, and stressful game um so it's it's pretty cool and unique um it's got a, a chill hop soundtrack so it's it's very different from most pinball games that are like really super high energy amped up uh all the time and uh I, i'm really proud of the way that one came out very very different um next i developed a game called flipper foxtrot rhythm explosion which is uh essentially dance dance revolution but if it were pinball, so the way that works is the, the P3's basic button boxes, these are changeable things on the side, um, have three different buttons on a side. So four of them are used for your uh, rhythmic action. And then if you miss a note, 
or, or a button as it scrolls by, then a ball will pop out and you have to return it to a specified shot uh, or else you will lose a bunch of health and lose all your health and you lose a song. Um, so there's a tremendous number of songs in there, um, five difficulties per song. Um, uh, another one that's that's very fun, but uh, very targeted to me specifically. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm, I'm also excited to see the reaction to, to that one at a show because I think it'll be fun to... Um, develop some competition around that uh and lastly the one that i'm working on currently is a game called drained and this is a full playfield module um so it's it's an entire playfield as well as the software um the art package is very ambitious and of just a massively different scale than any other game that i've created aside from maybe quest for glory uh just so much artwork involved um and it is proceeding very well it's in beta right now uh the beta has gone maybe a little too smoothly (laughs) Uh, but it's pretty much at the point where it's about to start manufacture so um i'll be revealing that in the coming weeks and i'm I'm very excited to do that so extremely long-winded answer to uh questions sorry for taking so much time with that but thanks for letting me chat all yeah, right. I, if you guys I, want to get a hold of us, playdatepodcast at gmail.com. What? We, we got a Ryan. And we'll have to save that Ryan? for next week. <laughs> <laughs> Boopity boop boop. Next week on the Hello Playdate Podcast. I'm just kidding. We're fine. <laughs> Nick, you shouldn't have made so many games. I'm sorry. Overture. I shouldn't have talked about him so much. I, no, you're fine. I, I was, I I was watching. I was watching the sweat pounce off of don's forehead seeing the hour it's mark fine. go by it's <laughs> fine it's fine i'm just joking i'm just joking i'm very proud of all the stuff nick has played as made and someday i want to play yeah I'm, look, I'm looking forward and and you have played one of the games right i have played silver falls and it was very mm-hmm. fun multiplayer yes. was excellent team yeah co-op yes that's where it's at hmm. um but uh just but yeah. ball. <laughs> so ryan uh tell us about your work and your podcasting sure um i feel like you guys have already mentioned it by the work you've <laughs> mentioned of mine <laughs> ryan's illustrated this and that and the other thing um yeah so i am an artist i am sure not a tech so i am mesmerized by side loading <laughs> mesmerized by what uh what 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 people can do like like don who is really the driving force behind this podcast nick and i hop on a channel and like say silly things but don makes this all happen so don thank you for making this happen yeah and nick i'm i'm very impressed with all the things that you do i, I want to just reiterate something that nick said my first hobby game was 142 games. <laughs> right. Classic Nick. Oh, I love it. I love it. Nick, Nick seems like a, a nice, normal, kind person. And he is, but he is also just a complete mad scientist. If it wasn't apparent from the past 20 minutes of this show. <laughs> Did I talk for 20 minutes? <laughs> I'm oh, sorry, yeah. everybody. 
<laughs> so I'll try to keep it relatively brief so Don doesn't have an aneurysm. It was a cold uh, and I'm rainy right. night in August and Ryan was charging <laughs> through. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I am a an artist and a professor. I teach at Michigan State University where I teach comics studio courses. And I've also spearheaded the comic art and graphic novel minor course of study there. And if anybody's interested in that, you can check out tinyurl.com slash MSU for Michigan State University, comics minor, tinyurl.com slash MSU comics minor. And that'll tell you all about it. Uh, But I also do my own work. I've been making comics since 2004. So going on 20 years coming up here pretty soon. Um, I used to do a number of autobiographical comics, but I'll focus on my more recent works, one of which was done with Nick, and it's called Coin Op Carnival. And Nick and I co-wrote this, and I illustrated the whole darn thing. He refused to put his stick figure drawings of bears in there, despite (laughs) me urging him to. Um, So anyway, I I illustrated that, and I am so incredibly proud of what we put together with that one. It is 64 pages, full color, illustrations on every page. Most of them are illustrated prose. Some are full-blown comics. Um, it's, it's, I, I can't express how proud I am of that product and it wouldn't be what it is without Nick. Uh, sometimes I feel a little odd that I get, like I'm named as the person who did this thing. And yes, I illustrated it, but that would not be what it is without not only Nick's words, but also, uh, input all along the way for, you know, over two years, we were working incredibly closely together on this and making it as historically accurate as unreasonably possible. We (laughs) just, you know, did everything we possibly could. Um, The publication I did after that is based on one of my grandfather's poems. It's called A Hunter's Tale. And it is a poem about empathy. And these two subjects in the poem are these seemingly very different folks, a hunter and his prey, and how they come to an unlikely understanding with one another. Uh, It's a poem that has resonated with me my entire life, and uh, I've always wanted to make it visual in some way. And over the course of the pandemic and seeing our (sighs) increasingly fractured and polarized world. I just felt like this is the time. Uh, This message of radical empathy needs to be in the world more than it is. So I spent the latter half of 2021 illustrating it and uh, sent it out into the world via a successful crowdfunding campaign at the beginning of 2022. And now it is available. You can find that at ahunterstale.com. And uh, you can find CoinOp Carnival at coinopcarnival.com, C O I N O P carnival.com. Um, and you can find all of my comics work at elephanteater.com. And that's a, based on a saying that my dad used to tell me and my, my siblings when we were growing up. He'd say, Well, it's like eating an elephant. You just do it one bite at a time. And before you know it, you're done. So I always think of that when I have big tasks in front of me, like, like making books and uh, just kind of keep me grounded and pay tribute to the pops too. So uh, I am working on my next book right now and it's probably going to be ready for release. And I'd guess like 
a month and a half to two months or so. So before the end of 2022, you might hear me mention a new crowdfunding campaign for my next book that's going to be called Mirror Drawings. And uh, maybe I'll talk more about that at a later date since we're pushing the time. So thank you for letting me talk about some stuff I do too. We're already late. You can talk about it now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure what else to say at this point. It's, uh, I I, I don't know. I, yeah. You can sell it. Well, you, 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 here's the teaser. You can talk about it more at a later date then. Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) Cool. Is there, uh, is that it? Is that the, I think that's it. (laughs) That's the, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I feel like we're going into the second part too. Oh, the door just opened. Um, all right. Well, I hope I hope that answered all of your questions about who we are. <laughs> if you have any okay. questions about uh, being a projectionist, I was one of those for a while as well. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little disappointed. You got you, Ryan. Both of you didn't mention the video game podcast you've done in the past that are relevant to this video game podcast we're doing. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that would be like. There's the, also I, that one. That's what I didn't expect. All the stuff you did mention, but. Um, so Nick did a podcast called, uh, was it virtually human? virtually human, the virtual boy game by game podcast. Yes. Um, so that went through every game in the virtual boys, North American library, um, where I talked about it, uh, used audio and, and discussed, uh, information from the manual for each game. Um, that was a lot of fun. And at first, uh, my older daughter was joining me and eventually she was like, I don't feel like doing this on your schedule. <laughs> Dad. It's like, okay. Um, that so. appeals to niche, niche, uh, video game stuff like the play date audience. People would mm-hmm. love to hear about that. Virtual boy is uh, much maligned and, and I'm actually a, a pretty big fan. Yeah. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. People can listen to the whole catalog. Yeah. There's uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of gold on that system uh, yeah. for the 14 games that they released in North America. <laughs> 14 classics. There we go. And Gaming on 10, of course, has 190 episodes for your listening enjoyment. Yeah, um, we didn't quite make it to 200. Playdate should have waited another 10 weeks, and we yeah, I know. <laughs> I sent an email Ra- to Panic, but you know. Thank. You. And then Ryan. Ryan did a, a handheld video game podcast that he did not mention. <laughs> true, true. I, I was Hell. trying to cram all the art stuff in as fast as I could. I felt pressed for time. But uh, but yeah, I've done some podcasting and audio work and radio stuff in my past. But the handheld gaming one Don is mentioning is called uh, the Game and Cast Podcast. Uh, I have Don to thank for that title. I still think that's the most brilliant name for a a Game & Watch podcast. And I talked about more than Nintendo gaming and Game & Watch systems. I also talked about some off-brand stuff as well. Uh, In addition to interviewing folks who are in the handheld gaming, retro handheld gaming community. Um, It was a lot of fun. I did an eight-episode season. And uh, from the very start, I said it was going to be done after eight and that was true. Uh, but I'm very proud of that podcast as well, because a lot of research went into talking about some of those games and documenting them and their history and sort of making uh, modern price comparisons and what these things were going for at the time. Uh, and, you know, chalking those show notes full of uh, imagery and occasionally videos as well. And 
Yeah. So if you want to find that, you can go to gameandcast.com and you can find those eight episodes there. But I've done some other podcasting in my past as well from the Michigan State University Comic Art and Graphic Novel podcast. And even in my college days, I was a radio DJ. So I have an affinity for audio. Uh, I broadcasted on my college radio station for the four years I was there at University of California, Santa Barbara. Go KCSB. It's still still broadcasting. So uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about my audio history. So there will be links to all to those podcasts in the show notes. And uh, Gaming Cast was recorded not even that long ago, like two years ago, and mm-hmm. very relevant to our audience. So uh, yeah. check it out. It's a short series too. It's, unfortunately, it's a short series. I really enjoyed it. So check it out. I also enjoyed your stuff, Nick. Too. I didn't mean to. <laughs> I'll lavish praise on you as well. <laughs> Thanks, Don. Yes. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for this adventure on uh, on the uh, Playdate podcast. Yeah. And and to Kirst to Krista Mergen, uh, we're squatting on the URL. If you want it, you're welcome to it. <laughs> I've always felt a little guilty. We didn't know there was going to be an official Playdate podcast. Yeah. That that was not part of our discussion. No, we wouldn't have done that. We're not that kind of folks. But. I'll I'll have to mention that to her. I was just about to send her an email asking her for some permissions, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll mention that to her. Yeah, of course. They probably have some fancy URL anyway, like play.date.pod.cast or something cool. Anyway, <laughs> well, thank you guys. Uh, thank you all for listening to. Now you know our life story, and we are happy to. Uh, you welcome us into your ears. Uh, Playdatepodcast.com is our URL. And uh, Hello PD Podcast on Twitter. Thank you to the new folks joining us in Discord. There's been a lot of you, a lot of folks on Instagram, and a lot of folks on Twitter. Just people joining us from all over. So thank you to all the new folks hopping on board. Welcome, and we'll everybody. catch you in two weeks with uh, some topic we don't know yet. Something fun. But new uh, uh, indie hits. All the latest indie hits. That we can recommend to you to sideload and get on that news. bundle get on that bundle you guys are going to be so having so much fun with that with that bundle it's going up live right now right now go click buy buy the bundle all right <laughs> goodbye speaking of bye 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 oh i like that ryan bye so everybody bye <laughs>